so good to see you all. Um, before I pray for the message, I'm going to call um, our sweet friends and sister Nicole up here because a week from today she's scheduled to have precious little Lily. And we know um, that Lily is a uh, fruit of all of your prayers. So um, if any of you want to come up and pray and touch her and lay hands on her, you can, but I would ask that you stand. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for our precious Nicole, Lord. And it's just, just amazing to watch little Lily grow. And we're so grateful. And we just honor you. We pray for Lily's life, Lord, to be an arrow just pointing to your goodness all of her days, Lord. We pray that your hand would be upon her. I pray that your hand would be upon the whole Levy family, God. I pray that you would give them all the wisdom, all the power and strength they need to raise Lily and Luke, God. And I pray, Lord, um, that you would prepare Nicole for, for delivery, God. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would be there every bit of the way. We know you will, God. We pray that you would strengthen her to endure, God. And I pray that you would lessen the pain and that you would make it a beautiful experience, God. One um, that's to be told to gen from generation to generation of how good you are, God. Prepare Luke to be a big brother. Prepare Kyle to continue to lead this family. And Nicole to be the wife and mother you've called her to be. We just ask that you would just rest upon them, Lord. I pray that you would give her a peaceful week as she prepares. God, I pray that the enemy would not allow be allowed to throw worry and fear into our heart, God. I pray that she just walk in with hands surrendered and just a heart and body ready to do what you've called her to do. What a privilege, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Isn't she, little Lily, just an answer to so many prayers? We all are just going to feel like she's ours, right? It's, it's a shame that Nicole's going to have to share her child with us, but she is going to have to share her child with us. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so let's pray again for the message. We need all the prayer we can get tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for this group of women. Um, I just, I delight to see their faces, and I imagine um, what your face must look like right now, Lord. It must just really bless you. Um, to have your daughters gathered together, Lord, um, just wanting to get to know you more, wanting to learn and to grow, God. And so I thank you. We invite you here, Lord. We ask for the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that you would teach this message. I pray that it would just uh, prick our hearts, God, that we would grow, that we would learn, and that we would love you more, God. Help us to learn from the women that you put in the Bible, God. Help us to understand you better know you more, God, and I pray, Lord, as we leave here, we would be so filled with joy that we can't help but spill over into everyone else's life this entire week, God. I pray that you would use these women for great things, Lord. I pray that you would give them the heart of an evangelist, God, that they would go out boldly and share your words, God, and me too, please, God. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, my friends, you can, we're all going to cry now. Everyone wipe, go ahead, take a moment to make sure your mascara isn't running. <laughs> um, and turn in your Bible to Judges 4. Um, I hope you all enjoyed the homework. Deborah, uh, Deborah was hard. The homework was a little hard. It was a little challenging. I say that, and 
we all worked on the homework, but it's still hard. It's different working on it than doing it. So anyway, it was really hard. Um, but as I read and studied, I thought of a question that the Lord kept putting on my heart or that I was just really just questioning, questioning myself and thinking, maybe you all have felt this way too, but do you ever just feel just completely inadequate, just unable just totally clueless, not able to do anything um, unworthy. I know I do. I know I feel all of those things. People even raising their hands. Um, and I confess that I often lack confidence in just studying the word and reading the word. And I realize that in that confidence, it's because when I lack that confidence, it's because I'm dwelling on myself. Like I'm really am not able. But me not putting that onto God is really sin. It's me trying to do it in my own strength. And I don't know about you, but trying to study the word of God or do anything for the Lord in your own strength is just going to be failure. But we can have a godly confidence, right? We can have a confidence in the great I am. And I love that. And this confidence is understanding that our calling is in him. And I thought, why would anyone be confident in messing me anyway, right? I'm not confident in messing me. So we are serving God Almighty. So we can hang our hat on the fact that he wants to be glorified and that he's good and that he's faithful. So wherever you lack, he makes up a hundredfold because he's good and he's faithful. And we need to just be confident in that if he's called you to something, which he has. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest in me. And then Isaiah 41, 10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my right hand, my righteous right hand. Every single time I've been asked by the Lord to do something, it's hard. <laughs> it's uncomfortable and hard. Every single time, without fail, it's hard and it's uncomfortable. And I begin to mentally list the reasons on why I shouldn't be able to do that, right? It's, it's so hard. And I think the Lord is probably emphatically nodding and saying, you're right. Like, you're not able. You're right. That's the point, right? Yes, you're not able, but will you be my vessel? Will you be my vessel? That's what he asked. Will you be my vessel? Do you realize, like, in those moments, all you have to do is say, like, I am serving the great I am. That's, he's the great I am. Is there anything too hard for him? And if you're saying you might be too hard for him, like there's people that are far more hard than you, right? He is the great I am. We are serving the great I am. And that helps us to keep things in perspective, right? It's all about him, right? It's all about him. Do we really want to say no to God? Who wants to say no? Who has said no to God? It's like a disaster, right? All of us. All of us have said no to God. Um, and it's a disaster. It's false humility, which is pride to dwell on your inability. So when you're saying, like, I can't do it. Like, I'm not smart enough. I'm not creative enough. I'm not whatever enough. 
that's your pride. Do you realize that? Because he is able. And so when we trust in his abilities, like we're giving him the glory. So when we start putting it on us, it's just us taking care of our little selves again, right? Which is pride, and we do that. The thing is, is that God uses broken, messed up, ill-equipped, base, um, unlikely people. Always, because there's no other kinds of humans, right? There'd be nothing left if we were looking for the spectacular, the wonderful, the, the awesome, the most talented, the most creative, the smartest. Like, there's nothing. There's no one like that, right? There'd be no humans left if we just wouldn't be willing um, since Nicole was up here, I'll tell a little story about her. Um, she testifies to my heart often on just being faithful to say yes. Um, no matter what you ask her, you're like, I have this like opportunity. She's like, yes. And I'm like, I haven't told you yet. And she's like, it doesn't matter because I already know you prayed about it and I want to do anything that the Lord allows me to do. And I'm like, wow, I need, first off, I need to make sure I really prayed about it. <laughs> if that's going to be her answer. <laughs> so number one, that was, that's convicting. No, I'm just kidding. But that's the thing is that she wants to be able to do anything that God allows her to do. Her answer is yes, yes, I will go, yes, I will. And there's so many. I can name so many names. But she stuck out in my head because um, just recently she did that. And I believe that that was Deborah's response to her calling, was, an, as, was a yes. She gave, God gave her a calling on her life that was so very unconventional. And her heart was to say yes. She was used to spare so many in the history of Israel because she said yes, despite the fact that she probably felt very out of her league, right? So we have to do a little overview on this story or we're just going to be so confused. <laughs> um, so, um, and the song, oh my goodness, the song was treasured. I love the song of Deborah. So let's, let's take it back a little bit. Um, so Moses, he came to the end of his life, right? And as he came to the end of the, his life, he appointed Joshua as the leader of the children of Israel, right? Um, and they, he was able to take them into the promised land. But when Joshua passed away, he did not appoint a leader. So for about 340 years um, in Israel, there was no leader, no real leader. There was no king, no president, no prime minister. They were kind of riding solo a little bit. Um, there's a commentator uh, that said this, and I thought this was really helpful. Judges is a tragic sequel to Joshua. In Joshua, the people were obedient to God in conquering the land. In Judges, they were disobedient, idolatrous, and often defeated. The account describes seven distinct cycles of Israel's drifting away from the Lord, starting even before Joshua's death, with a full departure into apostasy afterward. Five basic reasons are evident for these cycles of Israel's moral and spiritual decline. One is disobedience in failing to drive the Canaanites out of the land. Um, two is idolatry. Three was intermarriage with the wicked Canaanites. Four is not heeding judges. And five was turning away from God after the death of judges. So that was helpful. 
Um, when judges arose during this period, um, it's often called the Dark Ages in Israel's history. Um, but also, on a, a, a good note, it also evidences God's faithfulness, right? It's evidence that God is long-suffering and that though his people often forget him, he never forgets his people. And that's encouraging. God never forgets his people. So the, there's four points in this outline tonight. The first is an unlikely calling. The second is a unified choice. The third is an undeniable conquest. And the fourth is an unmistakable culmination. So first, an unlikely calling, which is found in Judges 4, um, verses 4 to 5. And it says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. So Deborah, let's talk a little bit about her. First, she was a prophet or a prophetess, actually, which means one to whom and through whom God speaks, one who announces or pours forth declarations of God. So she is a very small percentage of women named prophetesses in the Bible. Um, there's a few others. There's Miriam. Um, in Exodus 15:20, there's Hulda in 2 Kings 22:14, there's Anna the prophetess in Luke 2:36, and then there's Philip's four daughters in Acts 21:8 through 9. So some things about her: it, it tells us she's the wife of Lapidoth, whom we know nothing else about, but God found it worthy to mention in the text. So it's important. Um, next, she's the fourth judge, and she is the only woman judge ever mentioned in the Bible. I like this. She's the owner or keeper of the palm tree that she judges under. It says that. I like that. Um, she's also an encourager of faith, victory, and truth to Barak, the leader of the Israeli army. And we'll see that in our next point. She's also the mother of Israel. We see that in Judges 5-7. She's a poetess and a songwriter. We saw that in Judges 5. And her name, Deborah, means bee, um, which symbolizes God's love, strength, and wisdom. And I have to do everything in me to not launch into a whole <laughs> bee study. I did that one other time, and I will not do that to you, but it is highly unbelievable if you guys don't know much about bees. But maybe you guys could see Debbie after she could tell you. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, so I don't know how many hats each of you have worn today. I bet a lot. I bet just to get here, you've worn so many hats, right? And I believe Deborah is a wonder, wonderful example of how the Lord calls women to many roles, right? And we can have a long list of titles. I bet we could be Christian. We could be mother. We could be wife. We can be sister, friend worker, cook, hospitality, extraordinaire, um, owner of plants, right? We can be so many things, right? We're constantly switching hats as women often. But this description reminds me of how our spiritual callings are sometimes intermingled or intermixed 
um, with other things, but they're all important to God, right? So when we're doing anything, whatever hat we're wearing, whatever role we're doing, they're all as unto the Lord, even if it's something like roasting hot dogs. You know, you're feeding people. It's important to God. It's important enough um, to mention with Deborah's calling some of the big things and some of the smaller things. It's important enough for God to mention, right? Um, he, he didn't just tell us of her calling as a prophetess and judge, but he mentioned she's a wife, and then we can visibly see that she, used, she exercises her gifts, right? So we'll look at that. If you're struggling with any of your roles, I know sometimes we struggle with some of the things we have to do. Go back to your calling. Let it be your anchor. Sometimes we get really tripped up in the midst of life, like maybe being a wife or being a friend at that moment, this moment is hard for you. Go back to your calling. What, what was your calling on your life in becoming a wife or a friend to that person? We have to go back to our anchor of the Lord. And we don't, go, we don't stay in that place where we're just like, it's just hard and I don't want to do it anymore we go back to our calling and I love this about Deborah I think she's an amazing woman that we can look up to and someone we'll get to spend eternity with so this same God that Deborah had that anchored her calling is our same God today right he's the same God the second point is a unified choice and we're going to find that in verse sixes through ten it says, then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, I practiced that, um, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, go, deploy troops at Mount Tabor, take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sesera into the hand of a woman. And then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. So Deborah here is exercising her calling as a prophetess, and she summons Barak, right? And um, Barak is the commander of the Israeli army. Um, but she presents this question to Barak, um, in a way that states he must have already known the message. Did you notice that? She says to him, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded? So she's confirming something the Lord had already spoken to Barak's heart. And this implied that he had a little bit of time to think about that. I thought that was a very interesting as I studied this. Um, so again, Barak says to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And the tendency, I struggled with this, the tendency is to think he's a little bit of a sissy, right? Um, that he's just kind of weak and not a courageous leader. 
Um, I struggled with that a little bit, and I kept studying. I kept asking the Lord, like, what do you want me to understand about Barak, right? Um, and then the Lord brought me to Hebrews, right? Hebrews 11, the, the whole of faith. And I realized that Barak is mentioned in the whole of faith in verses 32 through 33. It says, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouth of lions. And I believe that he trusted in Deborah's relationship with the Lord. That's why I believe. I believe that he wanted her to go with him. I think it was humility. I don't know for sure, but I think it was humility, and it showed that he surrounded himself with the influence of godly people. He wanted that counsel, and I think that's very important, right? He knew that Deborah was a woman who heard from God, and he wanted to surround himself with her, right? So he went to her without hesitation, and I like that. So he didn't waver when he said, I will surely go with you. Uh, um, I'm sorry. There will be, when Deborah said, not Barak, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Caesarea into the hand of a woman. But their commitment was unified, and that's important. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. God uses unlikely circumstances to accomplish his will. He does. The third point is an undeniable conquest. We find that in Judges 4. Um, so Barak, Deborah, and 10,000 men went up to Mount Tabor. So I'm going to read a little bit of that. Verses 12 through 16 says, And they reported to Sesera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him, from Harosheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up! For this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Herosheth Haggayim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. So the, the Israeli army, they were at an actual complete disadvantage here because previously all of their, um, their weapons had been confiscated. So that goes to show you God accomplishes his will. Whatever man is trying to do, to you, God accomplishes his will. Um, that The leader, Sesera, he was the real sissy of the story, right? He fled on foot, and he ran into uh, the wrong tent. <laughs> he ran into a tough little tent maker or tent putter-upper, um, Jael, 
And he was thirsty and he was tired and he must have thought, oh, she looks like so motherly and sweet. Um, he, was, he wanted water. She offered him milk. And we know the story, right? She covered him with a little nice, warm, cozy blanket and then promptly uh, drove a tent peg through his skull. And you don't mess with JL. If anyone's looking for a tough name for their daughter, that's a winner like, <laughs> right there. I imagine what she must have been like as a child. <laughs> So Judges 4.23 says, So on that day God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel, and the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. So finally, we get to Judges 5, right? An unmistakable culmination in Judges 5, and I'm not going to read you every bit of Judges 5, so you guys could be relieved right now, um, but we come to Deborah's song, which is also Barak's song as well. Um, so God laid upon my heart is it just a few things that we're going to touch, up, um, touch upon in this, and it really is a culmination of God's faithfulness to his people. The song is beautiful. The song is known as um, a song of deliverance and of celebration. Second Chronicles 2015 says, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but is God's. So we're going to look at seven portions. Um, the first thing we're going to look at is found in verse 2, when it says, When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. And I love what Jim Elliott says, that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, right? To lead means to show the way. And that word willingly, um, the opposite of that would be to do your own will, right? It would be to be reluctant towards what God is telling you or asking you to do. It's unyielding. But we see here that they were willing to be used by God. This is what pleases the Lord. What pleases the Lord is offering yourself, right? Offer yourself to the Lord. Willingly is to understand the privilege of serving God Almighty. Again, if you're wondering what you should do, serve the Lord willingly. There's something always to be done, right? And the people that want to serve, when you want to serve the Lord, it's because you understand the privilege in serving him, right? You understand that you're not worthy. And once you make it about your worthiness, once you make it about, like, I'm so good at this thing, then he's no longer getting the glory. But we must understand that he is God and we are not, and we aren't able to do anything, right? So we can willingly do whatever he asks of us remembering it's an absolute privilege we don't deserve anything we don't deserve to be gum scrapers we really don't um today in the one year um bible i don't know if you guys read exodus 34 9 i was like this is so good but it said um if now i have found grace in your sight O lord let my lord i pray go among us even though we are stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. And wasn't Moses a good leader? He loved the people so much that he went before the Lord knowing they didn't deserve it at all, yet he still petitioned and asked for God's blessing, asked for God's inheritance, right? Leaders lead because they love the people. 
They love God and they love the people. That's why leaders lead, good leaders. It's seeking the best interest of the people by seeking God Almighty. Matthew 16, 24 through 25 says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The battle was not won for these children of Israel by their power, by their strength, or by their might, but the battle was won by following the Lord. And that's what we must do, right? So what is the battle that you're facing today? And we have to ask ourselves, we have to make it personal. What is your battle that you're facing today? Are you willing to just jot that down right now? Just what's your battle? What's your battle? And take that to the Lord. Take that to your knees before God Almighty, right? Am I willing to give it back to you, Lord? Am I willing to let you handle whatever I'm battling? Because you're God and I am not. But I'm willing to walk the road that you're asking me to walk, God. But you're going to have to lead me. You're going to have to show me. So write it down. Jot it down. What's your battle? We all have something, right? We all have someone in our life that we're battling for their salvation, right? Or we're battling for their health. Or we're battling for a broken relationship. We're battling for hurt in a family. There's something we're all battling for. I imagine that the children of Israel looked very silly marching around the walls of Jericho, right? I am in Joshua 6, I imagine they looked so silly, right, until the wall crumbled, till the trumpet blew and the wall crumbled, right? That's right. See, it doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter if you look really silly marching around the walls of Jericho or like Michelle Collins marching around the, the, her school for her kids. She might look very silly out there, right? But I bet you souls are being won over and over and over again. So do not, it doesn't matter what the world thinks. Like, are you willing to go march around those walls? Are you willing to get on your knees? Are you willing to do that? And um, the second thing I want to point out is found in verses 7 through 9. It says, village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, arose, a mother of Israel. They chose new gods. Then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. Deborah gladly was enjoying the fruit of her calling and her obedience to the Lord. She had been a grieving mother over Israel's idolatry, and um, she was so happy that they entered the battle willingly, that she entered the battle willingly. Psalm 128.2 says, When you eat the, the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. That's a promise, right? So don't lose hope in the battle. Um, I love the persistent centurion um, who went before Jesus, right, for his servant. You know the story in Luke 7. Um, and this particular servant was physically sick, but the same thing he was, it, the same thing we can do for someone either physically sick or spiritually sick, right? Um, he, I won't read you the whole thing, but it's found in, in Luke 7, 10 through I'm sorry, 2 through 10. And we know that Jesus healed the servant, right? Because why? Because the faith 
of the centurion, right? So wherever we're like doubting a little bit, remember that story, that faith. You don't, Jesus doesn't, he is here physically, right? Though we don't see him. The centurion said like, you don't even have to come, Jesus, just say the word. That's the same, God, just say the word, Lord, just heal. The third thing we're going to look at is found in verse 12. It says, awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Deborah slips on, again, that hat of encouragement. Um, there's no underestimating uh, what someone's encouragement does to a weary soul. Am I wrong? No, <laughs> right? Oh, don't you love to be around encouraging people? <laughs> I love to be around encouraging people. And you guys, if you're ever wondering if you should say the thing to bless somebody, say the thing to bless somebody. You don't even understand how much like a, a happy, thoughtful, sweet word will lift somebody's countenance, right? Um, we love to surround ourselves with people with the gift of encouragement, don't we? Oh, I love it so much. I know I do. C.H. Uh, Spurgeon is known as the Prince of, Pe- of Preachers, and he suffered from terrible depression. And his wife was known to be such an encourager to her that I have this little tidbit of a note that she wrote to him before a Sunday morning. It says, May his blessing rest in a special manner on you tonight, my dearly beloved. And on the approaching Sabbath, When you stand before the great congregation, may you be filled with the fullness of God. Good night, fondly and faithfully yours, Susie. Don't you think he liked to eat his bowl of cereal and read that little note? I bet he did. And the fourth thing is found in verse 23. It says, Curse morose, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. So Deborah's bold enough to call out those who aren't on God's side. And this is not cruel, but it's wise. It's actually really wise. We must know who we are battling with and who is not on God's side. That is important to discern the two. Um, And friends, we should not seek counsel from every single person. We shouldn't. We must look at characteristics like Barak did in Deborah. What did he see in Deborah? That she was a prophetess, right? She knew what God was saying. He understood her faith in God, her relationship with with the Lord. And I think that's very important when we're seeking counsel from people. Well, are these people godly people? Do they love Jesus? Do they show fruit, right? Are they in fellowship? Do they love God's people? Are they with God's people? Those are very important things. If we're just going to Joe Schmo and trying to get wisdom, we might not get that wisdom. Who is faithful? That's who we want to get wisdom from. First and foremost, from the Lord Almighty, because he does speak to his children. But it's fine to go and ask other people for counsel. But be sure those things, that they love the, the Lord, that they have fruit, that they're in the church body, right? That they're, they, they come, they participate, they love people. If you're out seeking from people that aren't doing those things, you're not going to get sound counsel. So follow Barak's um, example here. Luke eleven twenty eight says, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. 
And Jesus said to Peter, when Peter rebuked him, right? Get behind me, Satan. You are offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. The fifth thing is most, um, as found in verse 24, it says, Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. So Jael may have been also unconventional. I think she was, but God used her to accomplish his will, right, and put Sisera to death. Um, And we have the power to overcome when the Lord is on our side. The sixth thing is found in verses 28 through 30. It says, The mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the the clatter of his chariots? Her wisest ladies answered her. Yes, she answered herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil? To every man, a girl or two. For Sisera, plunder of dyed garments, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. So here we see another mother that is quite different than Deborah, right? She is a worldly mother. She's greedy for gain. Her, she was a fool. Her servants were fools. Um, and I love how Deborah included it in the song. And it's reminded that our best intentions are foolishness outside of God. The seventh thing is found in verse 31. It says, Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. So the land had rest for 40 years. Do you guys know that the sun is about 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit? And when we serve the Lord, we are hot for the Lord, right? They might, you might say, like, she's on fire for Jesus. And I love that comparison. So we see that Deborah's example in closing, she has an unlikely calling, right? It was unconventional, but God had his hand upon her. Um, there was a unified choice. She willingly unified with Barak to, to accomplish God's will. Um, they had an undeniable conquest. And when you follow God's will, he fights your battles. He always overcomes. Um, There was an unmistakable culmination because the song of celebration and deliverance was the result. And I'm going to end with um, one question from the homework. I love this question. It's in the reflection section. Um, And it says, take some time to be creative and use the model of Deborah's song to write your own song. Um, And I know some of you may have just had an absolute tailspin um, when you read that, and you're like, heck no. Um, But what what if this was the first song that Deborah ever wrote? Like, what if she never was a songwriter before that, but she had so much, like, stuff to say just bubbling out of her because of this great battle that she had seen God do, right? And she couldn't help but write a song. What if we have that, right? Um, So I thought we should take a gander at it. So I'm going to share mine, and it's not particularly creative or particularly good, but since I really like the reflection questions, and I think you guys, if you you skipped that, I think you should go home and write a song. Just saying, um, I'll share mine. It just says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, the battle is won. The enemy has no power to overcome. High and mighty through and through, The fight is long and hard, but your grace has held true. I will bow at your throne for all eternity and sing to the one who set me free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are just unbelievably good. We just delight in you, God. 
And I pray, Lord, as we go off into our group time, Lord, that you would go with us, that you would be pleased and blessed and talked about and praised. Thank you, God, that you overcome our battles. And I pray that we would not grow weary of the things that we're struggling with, the heartbreaks that we're carrying, God. I pray that we would leave them at your feet and let us see your goodness, God. Let us eat the fruit um, of just following you, God. We praise you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, you, it's a lot of you guys here today. I'm so grateful for Neil. No Amy's and Amy's uh, worship today. That was wonderful. Thank you. And um, I love how Kim started off with, do you ever feel completely adequate? Yes. Do not put it on God and, or put it, let's see, do not put it, to not put it on God is sin, but we can have a godly confidence. We can hang our hat on the fact that he will be glorified. We can boast in weakness. So Christ will be glorified. And the question is, is will we be his vessel? So, um, the things that I got also was whatever your role, do it unto God. Surround yourself with godly people. Do it in faith. Whatever man tries to do, God will still win. Offer yourself to the Lord willingly and give an encouraging word. And I just, you know, when Kim said, do you ever feel adequate? I, was it your, were you repelling when you shattered your, yeah. I'm like, this is the one that does rock climbing, and like I'm like, whoa. I, you know, I was sharing with uh, Miguel and Carmen's boys, and I can only think of Alejandro. What's the other? Antonio. I knew it was a name. They're playing volleyball. And I said to him, I said, you know, my mother-in-law rented out the church gymnasium in Ohio so that the family could play volleyball. And it was like volleyball was her thing. And I mean, it's like, okay, I'm going to play volleyball because I'm a new <laughs> daughter-in-law. And Rob's one of six kids, so you, when you add in the six kids and extras, and it just gets to be some people. And um, I remember my sister-in-law, Vicky, was not married to my uh, Rob's older brother, and she was a volleyball player, so she was like in with the mother-in-law. So I'm like <laughs> trying to play volleyball, and I got hit in the nose. And it hurt so bad, and I've never played since. And I'm like... That's the first thing that came to my mind when she said, do you feel inadequate? And I'm so inadequate at volleyball. So I shared that with Alejandro and um, um, Antonio. Okay, so um, while you're writing your song, you need to color in Deborah. And especially, I managed to get the, the hair and the lips and the eyes. But you know what? Now I'm motivated to do the palm trees. Do the palm trees and put a little bee in there, okay? You know, so make sure. And Debbie colored her Deborah. Did y'all? Did anybody else color Deborah? All right, woo! So write your poem, put your bee in there, and color your palms. And um, 